Thank you for listening to the Calvary Chapel Lubbock podcast with our senior pastor, Ben Martinez. Don't forget to check out our website at calvarychapellubbock.church. There you'll find a lot more about our mission to love God, love people, and live radically. Now here's Pastor Ben. Okay, so let me backtrack a little bit. Let me remind you what we've covered so far. I think it's important. We left Daniel and his friends praying. We left him praying, and more likely than not, he was probably praying a really personal, what we call the Amidah prayer, but it was more personal. He wasn't just going through the motions. Oh, Lord, let me have that. Let me, Lord, let me have that. He was really, really praying, and you realize why. Because the matter that he was praying about was intense. This was a matter of life and death. You see, if God didn't answer, he, would, he wouldn't make it in the He was dead in the morning. Okay, and so, and so, again, I'm sure not only is he praying a very personal and private and crying out to God, but he's probably praying, remember we talked about the chuspah, the chuspah, the boldness and the shameless audacity. It's the ones where you just go, I don't care who's listening, I need to cry out to God. And that's probably what he was praying. That's kind of where we left Daniel out, but let's, um, let's go back. Labor with me for a moment, and, and let me bring everybody up to speed kind of what's happened so far. Right now, Daniel and his friends, you could say, are in a pickle. See, King Nebuchadnezzar had a dream that so freaked him out that he literally couldn't go back to sleep. Now, we understand that dream came from the Lord, but he didn't understand that. And so he, what, he commands all the wise men of Babylon to come in to tell me the dream and then interpret it. What does it mean? Well, of course, we know there was not a man on earth who could do that. Remember, they begged and begged the king to tell them the dream. And then they could sort of make up some sort of interpretation. Well, it could have mean that you ate too much egg salad before bed, king. You know, this this is why you were dreaming. And, And I mean, we understand that some of the dreams that we have are crazy. You're just like, why did I dream that? Well, the Bible says in verses 13 through 15 that they began either killing or they began to rounding up the wise counsel to be executed. They couldn't do it. In either case, you understand it's not good. So Daniel goes to the king. Remember, he asked for some time to pray so that he could tell the king what he wanted to know. In Daniel chapter 2, verse 16, it says, So Daniel went in, asked the king to give him time that he might tell the king the interpretation. I draw your attention to this verse for one, one purpose only. Understand that God was already working behind the scenes in Daniel's life before he even approached the king. And we have to stand on that. Daniel was already, God was already working. He's, if he's working on his behalf, he's working on your behalf. And you go, well, well, Daniel didn't see it. No, Daniel went in and said, hey, I've got to talk to the king. But we right here, because the king had found favor, we know that he's working behind the scenes. Can I get an amen? You see, he's wor- that, was a, that was not a good amen. Come on, can I get a good amen? amen? Because he's working behind the scenes in our lives. He's working behind the scenes in our job. He's working behind, he's already moving pieces in place. Now, you might not see it, but he already is. Well, what, how do you know that, that Daniel found favor with the king? Well, it says the king agrees to give Daniel more time. You know what? Here's the thing. If God had not already worked in the life of this king and and was already directing, he would have been like, no, you tell me the dream right now, you're dead. I'll execute you myself. But he doesn't. The king says, okay, Daniel, what what are you going to do? Now, what we need to remember 
is Daniel's not using worldly ways. He's not trying to stall, right? He's not going, oh, okay. But what he needed was time to pray, time to pray. Now, the last three weeks, we have been just talking about prayer because I believe the Christian life some, is somewhat, the Christian's prayer life is anemic. And the Lord is even prompting us in these last days. As a matter of fact, if you think of Jesus and the disciples right before he goes to the cross, you guys remember, he said, could you guys just pray? Could you just pray? And then Jesus went over and he's praying out to the Lord. He wakes up and his disciples are sleeping. A lot of times that's us. That's us. We should be on our face in prayer and we should be developing a wonderful prayer life and and we should be sensitive to the Holy Spirit, but yet we're asleep. We're asleep. And our prayer life depends sometimes, in, and it's, it, it's, it's hey, I, I pray the 15 minutes I've got to drive to church, or, or I'll pray, you know, right before a meal. But, but I believe in these last days, God's calling his church to pray, to pray, to cry out. And this is what Daniel was doing. And then in verse 17, it said, Daniel went to his house. He made the decision known to Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, his companions, that they might seek the mercies from God of heaven concerning the secret, so that Daniel and his companions may not perish with the rest of the wise men of Babylon. Now, here's what we need to remember. When it comes to prayer, God always responds to our prayer. Okay, But what you need to write down is this. There are different answers based upon his sovereignty. Different answers based upon his sovereignty. Okay? You go, well, Ben, if God answers prayers, you know, what are they? I mean, God always answers prayer? Yes. Let me give you four ways that God answers prayer. Four? I thought there were only three. Now, let me give you four. You ready? Number one, an often answer to prayer is this. God says, I can't hear you. Whoa, 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 whoa. Time out. What are you talking about God can't hear us? Yes. According to Psalm 66 and according to Isaiah chapter 5, If there is sin in our lives that hinders our prayers for God to hear. That hinders our life. You see, Jesus died so that he would remove all the stain and the penalty of sin. Why would you want to harbor that in your life and then go to God in prayer? He says, come on, let's get it right. He calls us to repent. He calls us to change direction. And he says, okay, now I can hear you. Now I can hear you. Oftentimes before we pray, it's a good idea to say, Lord, where am I with you? Is there something that I'm harboring in my heart? Is there something that I'm keeping that I just... And we we can confess that to the Lord, even privately. Well, sometimes God answers, no, no. Lord, I pray, and he says no. And, and here's what we need to understand. When God says no, make sure you realize that it's in our best interest for our own good. God says no for our own good. That's not what I have for you. That's not the direction I want you to go. You realize that God sees your life from the beginning to the end, and it's so much better to pray and wait on God. Somebody say wait. Somebody say Wait. We need to wait on God and wait for the answer before we jump into, because sometimes the answer is no. And then, here's the thing when the answer is no. 
instead of rejoicing and thanking God that he said no, we get super bummed. We get super bummed. God, I was praying for a job. I was praying for a job, and I think this would be a good job for me and my family, and God said no, it didn't work out that way, and I wasn't rejoicing that God said no. I was super bummed. Why, well, listen, God, from my point of view, I don't think you can see all the parameters that need to happen for me to get this job. I don't understand. And God saw far into my future and said that wasn't the job for you. And sometimes his answer is yes. When you pray, his answer is yes. And he'll direct your path in that way. And I love that. God, God, when God responds with a yes, we rejoice. Yes, yes. He said yes. This is great. This is great. And then there's the last answer that God often says in, in prayer. And what is that, church? You know that it's wait. It's wait. Okay? Sometimes the toughest answer to receive from God is wait. Okay? It's not maybe, okay, my precious little granddaughter, when grandpa says maybe, that's a yes, okay, she knows it already, it's like, oh, maybe, and uh, she knows it's a, no, no, this is not a maybe, this is not a maybe, okay, this is a wait, this is wait, but know that wait is not a no, but I have something better for you, just wait, just wait, just wait on this, just wait on this. So those are the way that God answers our prayers. And we have to be so careful. We're approaching the throne room, the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. We need to be careful that we don't address him. The man upstairs I'm praying to, who, what man upstairs? That's not God. God is holy and beautiful and just. And remember, when you come into his presence, wow. And when it comes to prayer, church, listen to me. We don't pray to impress people how well we pray. We pray for an audience of one. We pray for an audience of one. God, here we are. Here we are. And God honors the fact that when you say, I'm struggling, I'm struggling. God, I'm broken, I'm broken. God, I'm, 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 just, I'm just hurting right now, Lord. And he honors that. And that's what Daniel is praying. Now, God answers Daniel's prayer. Look at verse 19. Then the secret was revealed to Daniel in a night vision. So Daniel blessed the God of heaven. Now I just love that. Daniel blesses God and then he goes to see the king. Okay? And just to refresh your memories, the book of Daniel is written, think about this, about a Jew, uh, written by a Jew, about Gentiles. And think about this, guys. This has absolutely nothing to do with the church because at this point, the church is a mystery and it isn't revealed or it wasn't revealed into the New Testament book of Ephesians. Okay? But we can glean some wonderful, wonderful applications for our lives. And you go, how so? Well, remember, Daniel was a unique among the prophets of the Old Testament. How so? He was given visions by God concerning the Gentile kingdoms of the world. You've got to grasp that. Why? Because think about that. Most of the prophets were, they were prophesying about what was happening in Israel and Jewish. Daniel's saying, I see Gentile kingdoms. And this is what it's going to happen. Well, what specifically? Well, do you remember? Here's what he's going to do. And you want to jot this down because it's going to make sense in the book of Daniel. He prophesied about a time called the times of the Gentiles. This is what he's prophesying. 
The times of the Gentiles, guys, is a time period in which the Jews will be stripped of their king and the Gentile nations will rule over them over the whole earth. We are in the times of the Gentiles right now. The times of the Gentiles. As a matter of fact, in the New Testament, it says that when that last person comes and gets saved, that will end the times of the Gentiles and the Lord will come back. And so if you're here today and you're not saved, <laughs> could you get saved so we could go home? We're ready for this time. But Daniel, specifically in 606 BC, when the Babylonian Empire took the last Jewish tribes captive, this is when the time of the Gentiles started. So you can write 606, time of the Gentiles. And it's going to continue until Christ returns. When? At the rapture? Actually, no. Trick question. It's actually going to end at the end of the tribulation period where he sets up his earthly kingdom. That's the prophecy. That's the vision. Daniel has this. Now, if you're taking notes, I am calling this message the Colossus of Clout. The Colossus of Clout. Why? Today we discover that Daniel will reveal the dream and then give the interpretation. Now, if the term Colossus of Clout um, rings a bell, you were probably heard it in a movie called The Sandlot when they called Babe Ruth the Colossus of Clout. Your minds went, oh, I've heard that before. But when you think about it, Colossus actually means a great statue or an image. Colossus. Okay? Clout is what Nebuchadnezzar has. He has influence. He has power, especially in politics and business. Okay? So in the movie, when they called Babe Ruth the Colossus of Clout, was not necessarily uh, clout in politics or business, but more of that in a fellow who could hit home runs. You understand that. The Colossus that Nebuchadnezzar dreamed was actually, jot this down, a visual picture of the times of the Gentiles. Okay? This is what he's really dreaming. And through the use of various metals and the statue of a man, what was God doing? He was revealing in great detail who would hold sway over the earth from the time of Babylon until the last days when Christ returns to earth. So, you have from Babylon 606 BC till today. Okay, this is what he dreamt. That's why it's so, so important. Now, let me tell you where we're going tonight. I'm hoping we can get through verse 45, but if we need to break it down, we will. Nebuchadnezzar has a dream in verse 31 to 35. This is known as the great Colossus. This is the giant image he's going to see. In verses 36 through 45, we're going to see its interpretation. Next week, we're going to break down verses 36 through 45 in a deeper, deeper way. Now, I understand we're in the Christmas season. I, I understand completely that there are pastors who are uh, preaching Christmas messages, but we're right here in the crux of this, and we've got to really grasp this, okay? So that's what we're going to do. So tonight, let's jump in, starting in verse 30. You guys with me? Daniel chapter 2, verse 30, he writes, But as for me, 
This secret has not been revealed to me because I have more wisdom than anyone living. But for our sakes, who make known the interpretation to the king, that you may know the thoughts of your heart. I love verse 30. If you're an underliner, that's a great verse to underline. You go, why? Because I want you to note the humility of Daniel. Okay, Daniel says, listen, God didn't give it to me because I'm something, because I'm this great guy, because... Because I, I got straight A's at Babylon University. Or I'm very good looking or whatever it might be. Okay? Daniel had his character is one of true humility. And I think that's important for us. Church, God is calling us to walk in true humility. To be men and women of character. The character of, of really true humility. That God will use us. He'll use us in the life of our kids. He'll use us in the life of our colleagues. But the issue is, it's God who gets the glory. You see, God's not just going, well, it's the pastor on the platform, and he has to be careful in humility because he'll get all puffed up in pride. Quite honestly, it's the church. It's all y'all on an everyday basis walking in humility so the world can see that this is what this is what you and here's the point guys we give all the glory to god we give all the glory to god wow how, how did you come up well i was that was so encouraging wow that was amazing god man, praise god praise the lord and we have to be careful because pride will come in very sneakily and just be like okay you, you're something. Oh, look at you. They're patting you on the back. Oh, wow. Check this out. And imagine. And, and no, we're going to take a lesson from Daniel. Daniel says, listen, it, this thing wasn't revealed to me because I have more wisdom. It says, but really for the sake to know the interpretation that you may know the thoughts of your heart. Daniel says, really simple. It's not because I'm wiser, smarter, holier better looking or I pray harder that I know the secret of the dream but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart so what's the dream well let's go so now Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar the dream okay verse 31 here it is you O king were watching and behold a great image this great image whose splendor was excellent stood before you and its form was awesome. Do you see the terms and the words that Daniel employs? He employs great, he employs splendor, excellent, and awesome. Now, you realize how we got our title. The king has some major clout. Behold, a great image, there's this huge Colossus, okay? But here, if you're taking note, the word image in the Aramaic is this. Check it out. It means an idolatrous figure, form, or image. Okay? So it's this giant idol. And here's what I found interesting. Babylon, which is modern-day Iraq, was the epicenter of idol worship. Okay? You go, wow, wait a minute, wait a minute. Nebuchadnezzar has this dream. He sees this giant colossus, this giant idol, and Babylon is in what? It was the epicenter of idol worship? Yeah, here's why. Listen. 
God is communicating to this heathen king in a way that he can understand. You, you, you get that, right? Now, let's draw some application from that. God will speak to us where we are at in our lives. You understand that in a way that we can understand. If you have a business mind, God often will speak to you in a business way. Now, here's, here's what's important. If God does that to us, how important is it for us to what? The people we meet who are not believers to speak to them where they're living. You understand that. You speak to them where they're living. You see, you can't go to an unbeliever and say, well, let me tell you theologically how this is going to the propitiation. Blah, blah, blah. They'll be like, what? But you can talk to them in a way that they understand. And that's why it's important that we make a connection. Oh, not that we hang out with the, these heathen sinners that are going to drag us back into the world, but that we can make a connection and say, look, do you understand? And if you'll look at it, you can talk to them right where they're at. Lesson 101 in evangelism, find out where people are at and then meet them there. That's what God does to the king. Let me, let me give you a spoiler alert, okay? It looks like the king gets saved later on. He has to go through some, some wild grass to get there, but he looks like he gets saved. But think about that. Think about that. I've told you my testimony, the first time I ever heard the gospel was in a choir room with these girls telling me the gospel, and that's where God sort of, okay, well, are you serious? Would I have listened to anyone else? I don't know. But I know God met me right where I was in ninth grade. Did you give your life to the Lord right away? No, I walked away going, I don't know about all this stuff. This is crazy. But, but God used that. God used that. Now check this out. We can grasp the magnitude of the metallic image. For the word of God describes this image. Notice he said, excellent. So here's what I want you to see. In your mind, this image was shining and magnificent and brilliance in appearance. Okay? You go, what does that mean? Apparently, it reflected the light as indicated by the brightness and excellent. So, in Nebuchadnezzar's dream, this image was seen from all over the world. It was brilliant in appearance. And I started to think about that. Can you imagine? Anywhere you went in the Babylonian kingdom, you could see at least a reflection of this idol. And I thought, wow. But I, I thought, here's some wonderful truths we can glean from this. We too should be reflecting God's brilliance. We too. It's the light of God reflected in our walks, in our speech, and in our love. You see, just like the moon, the moon reflects the sun 
we should, too, reflect God's light in our lives. If a heathen king can dream about a colossus, an image that's reflected around the heathen nation of idolatrous worship, then the church, you and I Christians, should reflect the glory of God in our lives. How do we do that? We do that by the way we walk, by the way we behave, by the way we talk, and by the way we love. We don't cause division in the body of Christ. We don't cause division... We encourage each other. We love each other. We walk humbly. This is what God is calling us to do. Think about this. As Paul writes to the Romans, he writes chapter 13, verse 14. He says, put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the flesh to fulfill its lust. To put on, okay? Putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Okay, I believe if we truly put on the Lord Jesus and make no provision for the flesh, we will shine bright for the Lord. Like you get up every morning and when you get out of the shower and you get ready for the day, the clothes that you put on are the clothes that are going to reflect pretty much what kind of day you're going to have. If you put on sweats and slippers and a big, you're going to have, I'm going to relax today. This is my kind of day. I'm not going over to Walmart, although some of you still go to Walmart looking like that. <laughs> We've seen you. We have footage. If you get up and you dress and you, and you have your, your work outfit, you know you're going to work. This is what you're going to do. If your husband calls you and says, baby, we're going on a date. I want you to dress up. Then guess what? You put on. You understand. You're putting on again. And, and Paul says, put on the Lord Jesus. And don't make any provision for the flesh. Then you will shine bright for the Lord. So each morning before you jump in the shower. Before. Put on the Lord Jesus. Before your feet hit the ground. Lord. I'm going to put you, I want to shine bright for you. I want to shine bright for you. The image made, think about it, a splendid appearance before the imagination of Nebuchadnezzar, whose mind was attached to what? Worldly, worldly magnific, magnificence. So he, he, he understands this. Now let me give you a side note. The same events afterwards, the same events afterwards represented in Daniel chapter 7 under the appearance of the fierce and devouring wild beasts. So the image I'm going to show you here in just a minute, guys, as we go through them, is going to line up with the same ones in Daniel chapter 7. You go, Ben, what does that mean? You ready? These great kingdoms that were foretold were great supporters of idolatry, tyranny, and the persecution in the world. You understand that, okay? And all it takes is doing just a little bit of history. So, here is the dream. It says, The image head was of fine gold, its chest and arms of silver, its belly and thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, its feet partly of iron and partly of clay. 
This is what Nebuchadnezzar saw. Following the dream, Daniel tells us what this all means. Now, let's chat for just a minute because I want to show you the metallic structure. Now, here's what we're going to do. I'm going to have Sarah put up the picture. The only I'm going to keep it up there for the rest of the service until I mean until she does um, she does a, a scripture and then she'll go back to this. But I really want you to get it. Okay, this is what Nebuchadnezzar saw. Okay, and we're going to break it down. And it's going to stay on up there. And here's what you want to do. Notice with me, guys, you've got a head of gold. Okay? A head of gold. Everybody see that? This is the image that Daniel is interpreting. This is the image that God gave Daniel after he prayed. The second one, notice, is, again, what did he say? He said, it's chest and arms of silver. Do you guys see that? Okay? It's belly and thighs of bronze, right in the middle. The legs of iron. And then down on the bottom, it says the feet partly of iron and partly of clay. Again, a head of gold, chest and arms of silver, belly and thighs of bronze, legs of iron, and feet of iron and clay. Now, there are some apparent symbolism in the major metals and the form of the image. How so? Here's what I want you to write down. We'll leave that up there, but here's what you need to know. If you're taking notes, only the head of gold constitutes itself a united whole. How so? It's one unit. One unit. Okay? You go, what does that mean? There's nothing divided right here. It's one unit. You're going, okay, that's cool. That's cool. Moving down, the silver is divided. How so? It's divided into the chest, guys, and the arms. The bronze extends from the belly to the upper legs and thighs. The iron legs and the feet of iron and clay constitutes a huge division. You see that? Why? There's two legs, two feet, there's toes, everything going on. So, quick question. How many kingdoms are going to rise up in the last day in the book of Revelation? Does anybody remember? Ten. How many toes are on the statue? So keep that in mind in today's world. Okay. Now. Let's look at the image on the screen. I want you to note a couple of things. There is a prophetic gap between the iron and the iron and legs. I don't have my, let's see if I still got this. Okay, so there's a, there's, there's a prophetic gap in this area. You understand that, right? Everybody see that? That's known as the church age. It goes from bronze to Right in here. Now, this is bronze and clay. Okay? So there's a prophetic gap. This is known as the church age. The church age. Okay? Now, Daniel is going to have a dream in chapter 7 that's going to correspond to exactly this. When we get to Daniel chapter 7, I'm going to show you how it all comes in. So, let's take a look at verse... That's going to stay up... Well, let me, we're going to go to the verses and then we'll come back to this. Look at verse 34 and 35 with me in your Bibles. 
He says, Nebuchadnezzar, you watched while a stone was cut out without hands. Do you guys see that? Which struck the image on its feet of iron and clay, and it broke them into pieces. Then the iron and the clay, the bronze, the silver, the gold were crushed together and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. The wind carried them so that no trace of them was found. And the stone that struck the image became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This is why old Nebuchadnezzar was freaked out. He saw this image, go back to, he saw this image right here. Okay, and then he saw all of a sudden this stone come and just completely destroy and it just collapsed and it blew away. Gone. It was gone. It was gone. It was destroyed. How so? By a stone made without hands and it remained and it was blown like the worthless chaff while the stone actually became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. So, Now, what does this all mean? Well, Daniel's going to give us the interpretation. But here's what I want you to think about. If Nebuchadnezzar was astonished that Daniel was able to reproduce the dream in full detail with such great accuracy, then he's probably thunderstruck, if you will, when he hears the interpretation of the dream. Okay? Can you imagine? Tell me the dream. Here's what I saw. So, wow. Okay, so here we go. Verse 36. This is the dream. Now we will tell the interpretation before it's king. You, O king, are king of kings. For the God of heaven has given you a kingdom, power, strength, and glory. And whenever the children of men dwell, or the beast of the field, or the birds of heaven, he has given them into your hand and has made you ruler over all of them. Sir, I put that in there, you are this head of gold. Okay? So he calls Nebuchadnezzar a king of kings. Now, notice, not the king of kings. There's only one king of kings. That's the Lord. This is a king of kings. Okay, he says, you are a king of kings. God has, notice, God has given you. Do you guys see that in your Bibles? For God has given you. God has given you. Everything Nebuchadnezzar was given to him by God. Everything. Guys, let that sink in and you go, why? Some may think that he acquired it or his ancestors were born with that opportunity. But in reality, God was the one who directs our paths. What you have in this world, God has given you. The ability to do your job so well is the ability that God has given you. God God gives you all that you need, and that's what you need to understand. That's what you need to understand. You go, man, that person was born with a spoon in it, a silver spoon in it. I can't catch a break. No, listen. God. God. But let me just give you some peace and comfort tonight so you can sleep well. Okay? Today, 
our current administration um, just signed into law what I call a direct attack on the church of Jesus Christ. It's not going to stop us. But we can see, and, and, and just like Nebuchadnezzar, here's the thing. Everything that's going on, God is directing. He may not direct it directly, but indirectly, he knows what's going on and he's moving it. Now, here's the point. You and I, we can go to sleep tonight. Well, pastor, if you don't, they'll take away. It doesn't matter. We'll still be a church. Well, what do you mean? Well, maybe they won't let you meet in the building. Then we'll meet in homes. You understand, they're not going to stop us. But we can trust the sovereignty of God. If God was directing a heathen king like Nebuchadnezzar, then God is directing the kings of the world today. Can I get an amen? Do you believe that? Then we can rest in that. And sometimes we might be a little frustrated and sometimes we might shake our head. We understand that our inflation is up so high and that everything, and you guys understand, you understand with Christmas around the corner, you're like, oh my goodness, Christmas presents are out of control. I mean, it's just, we, we get that. We've been there before. But we need, just need to trust the Lord. We just need to trust the Lord. I'm all for Christmas presents. I'm all for all of that stuff. But what if the Lord somehow wants us to get back to the real root of Christmas? which isn't expensive gifts or so-and-so or so-and-so, but get back to the real meaning of worshiping the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. You guys have known this, and I don't know why I'm saying this, but you have known that, that, that Christmas has been commercialized for years and years and years and years. But even now, it's worse, don't you agree? Because we can't even see the Christmas shows that we grew up in. The Charlie Brown quoting scripture. They won't show that anymore. But I know this. Based on our text tonight, God had given Nebuchadnezzar everything. And the same God that can raise him up is the same God that's going to take him down. You understand. I'm going to spoil it a little bit. You understand that old Neb here is going to be eating grass for seven years. He's going to be walking around with the wild beast. Here is a colossus of clout kind of guy. And that puts a smile on my face. But it wasn't because God wants to go, oh, look what I can do. It was to bring Nebuchadnezzar to his knees and see there is only one true God. And he will do that again in this day and age. Do you agree? So this giant statue or colossus symbolized four great world powers. You can see, again, from the time of Nebuchadnezzar's dream to the second coming of Jesus Christ. It not only visual shows us how many empires or kings shall hold sway over the world, it also shows us what they, or what basically shows us what order they shall occur. Okay? So, the first one, from 609, okay, 609 to 539 BC, we have the Babylonian Empire. You have the Babylonian Empire. This is known as the head of gold. Now, 
Do you guys remember when we first started Daniel, I told you that so many people were trying to discredit Daniel because there was no way he could, with accuracy, predict any of this? And so they thought, oh, no, 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 all of this happened. This all could have happened and somebody come back and go, oh, by the way, this is what Daniel saw. Because these are not going to happen till way later on. I mean, even the Roman Empire. And so Daniel sees this. Daniel tells Nebuchadnezzar, dude, you're the head of the statue. You're one. It's unified. And remember, who's he talking to? Gentiles, guys. This is not about church or about Israel. This is what's going to happen. It represents the first world empire to arise during the time of the Gentiles. This is known as the Babylonian Empire. And history books tell us that it lasted from 609 BC to 539. In his interpretation, Daniel uses the terms king and kingdom interchangeably. You guys got to get that. So when he says to Nebuchadnezzar in verse 37 and 38, you, O king, okay, you are the head of gold, he's talking about the empire and the kingdom of Babylon, not just Nebuchadnezzar as king. So understand that. Okay? Then it says, but after you shall arise another kingdom of inferior to yours, then another, a third kingdom of bronze, which shall rule over all the earth. Then we move to which one? Now, again, this is called the Medo-Persian Empire. You guys got that? This is known only as the chest and the arms, the Medo-Persian. There's two of them. This happened between 539 B.C. and 331 B.C. Okay? So following, when Nebuchadnezzar's done, following the head of gold were the chest and the arms. Now, Daniel tells us the king in verse 39, after you, another kingdom will rise and it's going to be inferior to yours. Now, since this kingdom or empire was still in the future, because Daniel didn't know this, Daniel was interpreting the dream. He couldn't name the kingdom specifically. He didn't know. All he said was, you got a chest of this. It's inferior. He just knew the next kingdom would be inferior because the metal used to represent it is, what's that? Silver. You go, okay, what does that mean? Silver is inferior, or what we would say, less valuable than gold. So all Daniel saw was this, and he goes, oh yeah, definitely, definitely. It wasn't even silver mixed with gold, it was inferior. Well, who were they? Well, they were the Medes and the Persians, okay? If you want to know who this is, it's modern-day Iraq and Iran. Okay? The Medo-Persians. So what happens is this statue depicts the kingdom composed of two peoples by comparing it to the arms of the Colossus. The left arm represented the, Meda, the, the, the Medes, sort of the weaker of the group, and the right arm of Persia, the stronger of the two people. Your attention, please. Even today, we see that Iran is definitely much stronger than Iraq. So, just to give you a frame of reference. Wow. Wow. The third kingdom is the kingdom of Greece. Okay? Up here, it's called the Grecian Empire. You can write Greece. The belly and the thighs of brass and bronze. This happened at 331 B.C. to 168 B.C. Okay? The third kingdom or empire Daniel mentioned is in verse 39. He said, 
Next, a third kingdom, one of bronze, to rule over the whole earth. Following the course of history, we see that this metal represents the Grecian Empire under what? Under who? Under the control of Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great. This empire went through a great upheaval and changed from 331 to 168 BC. Alexander was the leader for only eight short years before his death at the age of 33. But Alexander got depressed because he couldn't conquer any more worlds, any more kingdoms. That's why they called him Alexander the Great. At the time of his death, the kingdom was divided among four generals. Therefore, the Grecian Empire was not a single empire, but a fourfold empire composed of kingdoms known as Thrace, Macedonia, Syria, and Egypt. So you had four. Now, while this division is not shown in the Colossus, it's going to be revealed later on in visions, as we'll see in the upcoming weeks. Okay? So you're going, oh, so we're starting to divide. Now, let's go back to the text in verse 40. And the fourth kingdom shall be as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron breaks in pieces and shatters everything, and like iron that crushes, the kingdom will break into pieces and crush all the others. Whereas you saw the feet, toes, partly of potter's clay and partly of iron, the kingdom shall be divided, yet the strength of the iron shall be in it, just as you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay. And as the toes and the feet were partly of iron and partly of clay, so the kingdom shall be partly strong and partly fragile. As you saw the iron mixed with ceramic clay, they shall mingle with the seed of men, but they will not adhere to one another, just as iron toes do not mix with the clay. What's the next kingdom, guys? If you look down on our Colossus, it is Rome. You see, it's the Roman Empire. The Roman Empire. This was the fourth. This was the legs of iron. This was, now jot this down. This was from 168 BC to 476 AD. You see, Rome ruled for a long, long, long time. The fourth kingdom, you can see, long legs ruled, okay? And there are three things that we need to take note concerning this fourth empire. You go, what are they? First, notice the legs. They make up at least half the height, if you will, right here, half the height of the statue. You go, what does that mean? It means that the Roman Empire was the long-lasting of all its empires. And from history, we know this to be true. Second, it was divided. How so? Notice the two legs. This would imply the Roman Empire is divided uh, into two, two parts. Okay? So, we also know this to be true because in 364 AD, the Roman Empire was divided into an eastern division with Constant, Constantinople as its capital and a western division with Rome at its capital. So you understand, okay? So let's look at this real quick. So right here, you got one and two. Daniel interprets that. God gives him the dream, but he realizes that around 364, it's going to be split into two. So you have Constantinople, and then you have Rome. Okay, so now, whenever an empire is starting to divide, it's going to get weaker, okay? 
The third thing that we should note is that the iron represents Rome, carries into the feet, okay? Into the feet and the toes right here. It kind of goes into that. Why? Why? Because it's going to be part of the next world power. It's going to be part of that. Why, Pastor? Why? Why? Okay, so wait a minute. So everything was cut. Okay, so right here, you guys see at the bottom of the feet? Okay, right here. That's the church age, but eventually a new empire is going to come out, but it's going to be part of the revived Roman Empire. Why? Why would you say that? You ready? Because Rome was never totally destroyed. Its eastern division actually changed its name to the Byzantine Empire and then later the Ottoman Empire, but it never really experienced total destruction. If you guys remember when we were in Israel, when we went there, there was part of the Byzantine came in and then the Ottoman Empire was all part of that. In, in, but it was all part of the time through Christ and when we were there. And this opened like, I was just like, wow. But you understand, Rome was never fully destroyed. Then you have the last day's empire. Okay, That's the feet of iron and clay. The feet and the toes of the Colossus represent the final world empire. And that's going to return, or that's going to happen and occur right before the return of Christ. This is the only kingdom, guys, that we cannot put a definite name on. Because it's not part of history, but it represents the future, or actually even in our present. This is going on right now. Right now. Okay? So, right here is what we're waiting for. And it's going to be a holy revival. We don't even know what name to give it. And that's why I tell you to watch the news. Watch what's going on in the, in the Middle East. You're going to see... Somebody come out. Somebody goes, hey, is Donald Trump the Antichrist? No, Donald Trump is not the Antichrist because the Antichrist is going to come out of the last day's empire, the revived Roman Empire. It's going to be part of that. Now, how is that going to look? I don't know. We can see the, U, the EU get together. I mean, we just, I don't know how this is going to look, but we've got to look in that general area and keep an eye out for somebody who's probably right now flying under the radar. Why? Because if somebody could identify the Antichrist, that could spark a revival in the world. Oh, there he is! Everybody get saved! Ah! When quite in fact, the book of, and the book of Paul writes to the Thessalonians, he says, you and I are not going to know who the Antichrist is. Well, I have an idea. It might be this dude. Oh, I think it's that dude. We might get some good, some good hints. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. You know, he's out of the, he's out of, he's out of Europe. He's out of you. Oh, wow, look what he's doing. But then we might be raptured and we'll never know. Aren't you glad about that? I don't want to know. I don't want to look for the Antichrist. I just want to look for Jesus Christ. I'm ready to see him come back. I'm ready to see him come back. Now, in verse 45b, it says, The dream is certain and its interpretation is sure. What does that mean? The prophetic dream was clearly fulfilled in history. If you are a history buff, you'll go back and you'll see exactly the Babylonian, then came, and then came Alexander the Great, and then Rome, and that's when Jesus was born. 
And this is why the Jews were going, please, they were so strong, guys. They were so strong. And the Roman army was brutal. The Roman army was so brutal. That's why they hated, hated tax collectors. Because they were collecting tax to fund this Roman army. And this Roman army would go into your house. And they would rape your wives and rape your daughters and kill your children. And they didn't care. And they would take your money and whatever you had was theirs. And they could do it. They were that brutal. And this is why Jesus said, you know what? If, if he tells you to carry his sack one mile, carry it too. You'll win them to the Lord. They were that brutal. Because most of the time, if a Roman soldier said, carry my backpack and you're going to carry it for a mile and you have to. Most of the time for that mile, you're cussing them out. I can't believe one of these days, you know. But if you carried it too, they'd be like, why did you carry it too? Man, God loves you, man. He's got a plan for your life because he realized that even though they were Roman soldiers, they were still people. And people, listen to me, church, people without Christ are going to go to hell. It's our job. It's our job to do the Lord's work. To meet people where they're at and try to win them to Jesus. Now, listen, on Sunday, we're going to see that there are people who don't believe and they're not going to believe no matter what. We understand there are people like that. You'll tell them and 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 they're just not going to believe. But there are people that need to hear the gospel. And let me even say, let me even say it closer to home, guys. In Lubbock, Texas, people need to hear the true gospel because they've gotten comfortable in their religiosity. And from my understanding of scripture, God does not grant entrance into heaven with religion. But even that aside, think about this. Think about this. There's people in your lives and in mine who claim to be a Christian, but their lives are marked completely opposite of who he is. And we want to reach them. Oh, we can see on television and and so forth the blatant evil of people. We can see that. Let me draw your attention very quickly. We're almost done here anyway. Let me draw your attention very quickly to Luke, the Gospel of Luke. And do you guys remember the story of the prodigal son? Okay, the father has two sons. The one son is rebellious. He's the younger boy and he's like, ah, dad, I wish you were dead. Give me my inheritance. I want to go party now. Let's go. Dad says, no, mijito, don't, don't go. You know what, please. I have so much. No, dad, I, I, you, I want my stuff. I wish you were dead. That's really what he says. And so he gives him the inheritance. He divides it to both boys. You have an older boy and you have a younger boy. The older boy, the younger boy goes off and he lives the vida loca. He's crazy. He does all the prostituting. He does all of that stuff. You understand that, right? Okay. Eventually, he finds himself eating pig food. And he realizes he comes to himself. And, 
And so he realizes, man, I, I, I just, I'll just be a hired servant. And, and so when he comes back, the Bible says the dad was looking for him and he ran to him. He ran to him. And he put his arms around him and he put the robe on him. He killed a fatted calf and he had a party. The problem is that, is that you have an older brother who didn't rebel and didn't go off on his way and, and stayed working with the farm and everything. And, but his heart was just as corrupt as the younger brother. And he thought, wow. And the story goes that, that the son was coming home one day and he heard music and he heard dancing and went in and he told his servant, hey, um, what's going on? Your brother, your brother's home. Dad's throwing parties. I mean, come on in. You know what he did? He folded his arms and he says, I'm not going in, man. That little brother of mine was just... And he stood outside and then the dad came out and the dad came out and said, you know, son, what, a, what are you doing? He says... Your brother was once dead and now he's alive, but everything I have is your son. And that's where Jesus leaves the story. But can I tell you, those are the people that we need to be concerned about. You see, because we can reach the younger brother if we tell them, they'll come to the point too where they, they're looking up and they're eating pig food. They're going to come to the point where they see Christ. That was us. Can I get an amen? amen. But it's the older ones who go, man, I'm, there's nothing wrong with me. I'm good. I'm good. I don't need this. I grew up in the church. I did da, da 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 But they don't have a relationship with God. And those are the ones we need to reach. And that's exactly. That's exactly. Who we need to reach. Next week church. We're going to spend some time. Digging into this kingdom. And um, just seeing. All the kingdoms. And, and how they're going to match up. It's just going to. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. But now I tickled your fancy. You got a little bit of, of oh, okay, okay, okay. And um, I would encourage you, keep your eye on the Middle East. Watch what's going on in Europe and all of that area. And, um, and buckle up because the Lord's coming. Amen. Lord Jesus, thank you tonight for your great love. Thank you, Lord, for the history lesson. But it really ties home, Lord, because we're living in the last days, Lord, of, of what you want to do. And, Lord, we can't even see a revived Roman EU kind of... We don't even know what's happening. But you do. And so, Lord, you never, you, you never told us what day you're coming, and you never told us, but you did tell us that we could see signs and seasons. So I thank you for the book of Daniel. I thank you that Daniel, right off in chapter 2, just revealed, Lord, to, to Nebuchadnezzar, but more importantly to us. And now we can look back and see with accuracy, Lord, how perfect that is. And that helps us to look forward, knowing that you're coming back for us soon. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Lord, we repent of our sins. We change. We ask your forgiveness. And we, we want to go to your kingdom. So forgive us, Lord, and help us to grow in you. It's in the beautiful name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed today's message. We'd love to hear from you and see you in person at the church. 
You can find our contact information, location, and even give a donation at calvarychapellubbock.church. We'll see you next time on the podcast. Until then, may God bless you and your family.